You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, help us to see you clearly now. Remove the distractions from our minds and speak to us now through your word. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this evening we begin a series in the letter of 1 Corinthians. And one of the things that I find most interesting about this letter is that it even exists in our Bible. Um, Because in the letter of the Corinthians we learn that the Bible is full of imperfect churches, full of imperfect people. I wonder if you've ever tried looking for the perfect church. Maybe you've moved cities or you've changed life stages and you're looking for a new church But you just can't find that one that feels right, where you feel like you fit in. Maybe the band is too loud or it's not loud enough or maybe the seats are too uncomfortable or maybe a little bit too comfortable. Maybe the people are not very nice or maybe they're just a little bit too nice. The problem with church shopping is that there's no perfect church. And we see this clearly in this letter. You only have to look at verse 11 to notice that there's quarrelling in the church. You'd think of all places that might have a perfect church, that Corinth would be the place. Not because it was some sort of holy city. Let me tell you, it wasn't a holy city. Corinth was the Las Vegas of its time. They used to say back then that what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. (laughs) But in Acts chapter 18, we learn that Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. Now, if you could pick anyone to be your pastor, if I could pick anyone to be my pastor for 18 months, apart from maybe like Andrew Pearson, it would definitely be Paul, wouldn't it? You know, he would be my number two choice. But despite Paul's leadership, despite all his preaching and his teaching, these Corinthians, they remain imperfect. But don't let this discourage you that even in the Bible that you find sinful churches and sinful people, don't let it discourage you as though the darkness has won. For if the Bible weren't full of sinners, full of sinful churches, then we would probably think there's something wrong with us. If the church in Corinth weren't full of sinners, then we wouldn't have Paul's letter to them, and then we wouldn't have pillows that have love never fails written on them. But it's through the mistakes of the Corinthians, it's through our mistakes that we can learn more about God and more about ourselves. It's through our mistakes that we are shown the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And the mistake of the Corinthians in this passage is the mistake of distraction. The Corinthians have been distracted from their mission, distracted from their calling, distracted from the truth of the gospel. And this distraction has led them to fight with one another. Instead of having their eyes fixed on Jesus, they've been They've become distracted by the dizzying lights of the big city. Distracted by their need for inclusion and affirmation. And because of this, they've lost sight of the truth. So Paul calls them back together, calls them back to the truth, calls them back to being one family in Christ. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. I I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree 
and that, be no divi- that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers. The church has lost sight of the truth, and in losing sight of the truth, they've lost sight of their reason for unity. So unity isn't something that's natural to us. It's not something, some organic thing that just rises up because we're nice people and we love each other. Unity happens when our focus is in the same place, when we are united in the same mind and same judgments, when we're all on the same mission, heading in the same direction, all on the same page. There is unity when the little things aren't as important as... Yeah, sorry, I was thinking about that in my head. There's unity when the little things aren't as important as the big things are. So when the big things are the main thing that we're united around. When you understand the truth that the gospel, that once you were enemies of God, but now that you've been reconciled through Christ's death and resurrection, once you understand that truth, when that truth is so vivid in your life that everything else is turned down, all the small things kind of waste away, that is when there is unity in the church. In a small town near uh, where I went to high school, uh, there's two Sikh temples of the Sikh faith. And as the legend goes, well, this is how my mom tells me about it, in this small town of about 5,000 people with a Sikh population of about 600, there are two temples. And the reason why there's two is because they had a disagreement over seating. Half of the, of the original congregation wanted seats and half of the didn't want seats. So they split and they formed another Sikh temple so that each church, each group of people could have their own preference. Now this might not be a totally accurate picture of what happened, but how often do we hear similar stories of churches splitting? How many things do we think are good reasons for us to leave the church? Because the music is too loud or too old? The speaker's too boring or charismatic? The church hasn't hired the church has hired someone you don't like or or they've stopped doing that program that you loved going to. The list could go on and on. The point is that we will find any excuse for disagreement. We'll find any excuse to point out imperfections in our church, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side. And this happens when we take those insignificant things and we elevate them to too much prominence when we lose sight of the reason why we're united in the first place when we're distracted from our mission from our calling distracted from the gospel so Paul is reminding the Corinthians to not lose sight of that truth despite all the distractions in this life though there might be good things that we could focus on we're not meant to lose sight of the greatest thing the truth of the gospel. See, Paul and Apollos and and Cephas, Peter, they're all good leaders of the church. But in their pride, in their sinfulness, the Corinthians have used these good people as badges of honour. They've tried to prove themselves as better than others by the tribe that they belong to. So, who do you read? Apollos? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I've been reading Paul, of course. Oh, Paul! Oh, that's interesting. 
I've been reading uh, Peter's letters. He's the uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem, don't you know? Oh, Peter, that's nice. I've been reading Jesus' words. Soon enough, we all turn out to be Hermione Granger saying, it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. There are many good things that our church could be focusing on. We could be feeding the hungry and caring for the poor and the oppressed, getting involved in politics and supporting the local community. These are all good things that I hope that you are doing. But when these good things seek to take our attention away from our mission, from the truth, from the gospel, then they have become idols. And this idolatry leads to the infighting, leads to disunity. See, the fundamental problems for the Corinthians is not their lack of unity. Their biggest mistake isn't being distracted. Their main problem is their idolatry. The issue that digs at the heart of the problem is that the Corinthians are putting their trust in things that aren't God. They've put their confidence in the creation rather than the creator, looking to the things of this world to find their value, identity and belonging. And the way that this has manifested itself is in their tribalism. They've made idols out of their pastors, seeking validation from belonging to a certain group in a church. And their idolatry causes them other problems as well. As we see throughout this letter, the Corinthians begin to idolize the gifts of the Spirit that they're given and super-spiritual experiences. So they take these good things, these gifts of the Spirit, these apostles and pastors, and they turn them into idols. They've tried to fill the emptiness of their hearts with the things of this world rather than with the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul redirects their attention. And this is what we see in verses 4 to 9. Paul's reorientating the Corinthians to understand who they are and what God has done for them, what God has given them. So let's look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Paul is thankful to God for the grace that he gave, that God gave them in Christ Jesus, with the result that they were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, so that they weren't lacking any good gift. And this grace that was given to them manifested itself in spiritual gifts, in the gifts of speech and knowledge, as he says. But the Corinthians turned these things into idols. So they no longer worshipped the giver but the gift itself. So they called back to turn back to the giver, back to the one who has given them everything that they have and to the one who, in whom everything has been made available, that is Jesus Christ. And so he reminds them in verses 6 and 7 what these gifts are for. So 6 and 7, he says, Even as the testimony about you, sorry, about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts were given for the purpose of helping them to wait for Jesus' return. But in their impatience, in their forgetfulness, in their sinfulness, the Corinthians had put their confidence in these leaders, in these gifts. 
thinking that they would help them to persevere in their faith. Now, they're not entirely wrong. As a minister of the gospel, one of my goals is that you would persevere in your faith. Yet I can't do that in my own strength. I can only do that by reminding you of who Christ is, of what he's done for you. I can only do that by pointing you to him. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here for the Corinthians. Why are you fighting, he says. Don't you know that we are all one in Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for each one of you, so that you might be reconciled back to him? Don't you know that those who put their trust in Jesus are all children of God? And look at who is going to keep them until that day, keep them going until the day that Jesus returns. Verses 8 to 9. God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This whole section from verses 4 to 9 is all about God. It's not Paul, it's not Apollos, it's not Peter that will sustain them to the end. God is the one who is faithful. And he's proven that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one who will sustain you because he is the one who has called you, who has created you, who has saved you. And what are we called into? The fellowship of his son, Jesus then why do you quarrel over leaders, Paul says? See, unity is important. Don't get me wrong, unity is important, but it can't just be unity for unity's sake. We shouldn't just get along to get along. Unity doesn't mean that we totally agree with everyone and we just totally accept everyone who walks in. See, Paul is directing the Corinthians to have unity, but at the same time, he's correcting their behaviour. He accepts them as brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 4, he thanks God for them. In verse 2, he describes them as those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord. In verse 10, he appeals to them as brothers and sisters in the name of Christ, calling the Corinthians to be who they are, followers of Jesus Christ. But despite this high view of their fellowship, his high view of the church, he calls them out for their error. So on the one hand, he includes them in the family of God, but at the same time, he corrects them in the truth. He will not accept the behaviour of the Corinthians, especially their tribalism. For the church has no place for tribalism. Even if that tribalism is about who baptised you or who led you to conversion or whose sermons you listen to. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We must be unified. We must have unity in the truth. And what is the truth that Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of? Well, it's the truth that the Christian life is not about you. That it's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is and what he's done. So get over yourself. You are no better than your neighbour. Everything you have is a gift from God. God has called you. He has confirmed you. He will sustain you. He is faithful. 
Distraction is a, is a danger that we all face. It's very easy for us to turn our focus away from Jesus, isn't it? To put our attention on ourselves, on our gifts and ability, on, our, on maybe a charismatic leader. But this is certainly true when it comes to the focus and the mission of the church. When our focus moves away from Jesus, we fail to be who we really are. We stop being a worshipping community uh, which is focused on the risen and reigning Lord Jesus and we start becoming a social club or a, or a non-profit organisation. So we need to continue to check our focus and see where it, where it is. Is it on Jesus or is it on how great our music is? How smart and attractive our clergy are? How beautiful our church is? How well we care for the poor? How much we include others. Are these our priorities? Paul is absolutely ruthless when it comes to the focus of the church. He didn't even want baptism to be a distraction for the Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He wanted to make sure that nothing distracted the Corinthians from knowing the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. So he reminds the Corinthians of the truth that everything they have everything that can boast in, everything that is worth anything in the Christian life is a gift that comes from God and is given to them in Jesus. So what's been distracting you this week? What's been distracting you from the truth, from putting your confidence in Jesus? What have you been putting your trust and your hope in? Maybe it's your gifts and your abilities. Maybe it's a great leader that you know. Maybe... It's your baptism or the church that you belong to. Maybe it's your job or your family, your grades or your money, your future or your friends or your neighbourhood or your community. Whatever it is, what is the thing that you think will help you to persevere to the end? Whatever it is, don't let these things take the place of God. Don't let these things distract you from the truth that you have been bought with a price that you belong to Jesus who was crucified for you and that you are a part of his tribe. God is faithful. He has called you into the fellowship of his son. He can and will sustain you to the end until that day when Jesus is revealed as Lord of all and we are gathered around his throne and we are eating a banquet at his table. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.